Last time we uh, covered the Old Testament, and this week the New Testament. Turn to Second Peter. I'll read in that uh, chapter one and verse nineteen. We also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, from which, Lord, if we were cut off, we would have nothing in this world. We thank you, given both the the gift of the Holy Ghost and the word of God to attend your people in all ages. Thank you for it, Lord. We want to learn more of it. We want to indeed live it out and see it active and not only in our lives but in the lives of others that your name would be glorified, your kingdom would go forward. And we bless you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> For Deborah's sake, who wasn't here last time, when was the Old Testament canon solidified approximately? Yep, that's a, I won't say a guess, that's a, yep, that's a good approximation. Why would you give that date? Correct. Yeah. So the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures was translated around that time and probably about a hundred year window. I know to us that seems a long time, but um, in the unfolding of the history of the people of God and their receiving of the scriptures, um, that's about the time. Wasn't it about like 1700 for the Christians to figure that out? With the Apocrypha back and forth? 1700 years, you mean? Or, yeah, or 18th century. Uh, yep. Before they finally nailed it. Yeah, and, and said. Only the Catholics with the Apocrypha after that. They kept it going, yeah. Yeah, it hung on till about the mid 1800s. The printing of the Apocrypha with the Bible. And that was our object lesson back there. Incidentally, I did read from the Apocrypha today because I had read something on the weekend or during the week, and I wanted to check it out myself. So, but when, when did they, did they, from the church, refresh from the earliest days, did they make a difference? 
Uh, yes. The uh, Apocrypha? Jerome did not consider it inspired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They would have uh, even some Christian people, if I could say that. Uh, but there was always a... Jerome said it was not for the... Uh, teaching of ecclesiastical doctrines. It was for general edification, spiritual edification. And in the mind of the people of God, that's what they would have. Because there is some good uh, and profitable things. I think it was even John Bunyan that said the Lord brought a scripture from his mind and he couldn't think of where it was. And then he realized it was from the Apocrypha. And, but in his mind, he, he was somewhat surprised because this passage, I'll call it, because it wasn't the scriptures, was definitely a word to him. I can't even remember what it actually was. But it was a, a word that was used in his life to bring him out of a distress. But it he knew it wasn't the word of God, the scriptures, but it was a word for him at the time. So he separated in his mind what was the scripture and what was, just like any brother could come and say some uplifting word to you, that um, isn't necessarily even from the scriptures, but it's something that lifts you out of that or comforts you, etc., in a time of need. And it would be that same thing. Um, <clears throat> but the Old Testament canon was, the writing of it was finished um, sometime during the exile of the people and then shortly thereafter, coming back into the land, the last inspired Old Testament prophet would have written Haggai, Zechariah. And then there wasn't another writing prophet until the apostles came on the scene. So we have at least 400 years Time between the last writing prophet, which was not Malachi, he appears last in the Old Testament and our Old Testament, but chronologically he wasn't the last. And then um, again, that didn't open up again the writing prophetic word, the scriptures, until the apostles came and were writing the New Testament. So it's foundational for our, uh, for the people of God, and down through the ages, the devil has targeted the scripture, mostly by way of confusion and by way of counterfeits, not necessarily by way of trying to destroy it, although he has done that in different times. Once under Antiochus or Antiochus, whichever uh, pronunciation you prefer. Depends on if you're British or Irish. 
that's a joke. Um, but uh, he, and you can read it, I just read it there in, in 1 Maccabees, verse uh, 57. Is it chapter 1 or 2? Uh, where he made a decree, the king of Greece, that if anyone was caught with the scriptures in their possession, they were to be put to death. And the same thing happened um, in February, I think it was 23rd, 303, when the government of Rome um, published a imperial-wide edict that this that the scriptures had to be handed over to the authorities for destruction, and um, that was the devil's strategy. Somehow they realized that the scriptures was they they took them a, a couple of hundred years to realize it was the scripture that was the life of the church. That's how they saw it, and they weren't far off. Um, it's the life and the, the uh, spirit. It's the written word and the, the uh, spirit of God together that is the life of the church. But if you took one away from it, it would be greatly hindered. And they realized that, and then they uh, had this edict. And at the time, the people of God had a great conundrum. Because if you had... Pilgrim's Progress, let's just say to bring it into a different context in your house, that would be, and then you handed that over to the authorities, that would be different than you handing over the only Bible that your church had. And those that had charge of the scriptures would have been um, traitors if they would have handed over the scriptures to but if you handed over some other religious book, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Uh, if the authorities thought, hey, we've got this, and they went away. And you're like, hee hee, we uh, tricked them. And so you had to know what was the scripture and what should I, should I or should I not hand over to the authorities. That became a big historical moment in the church where you had to know what was the book's that were the scriptures and what were not the scriptures and you could hand over. That was just one historical event that served to solidify the canon in people's minds. So with that uh, in a preamble, we'll again starting, he, the author of the book that um, I read and he died in 1990, so he was at the turn of the century to uh, 1910 to 1990. And he sought to just give the historical unfolding of the New Testament by reading many source documents, of which I was unaware that there were so many. Um, many existing in Greek and in Latin. Much of it in Latin, but also uh, in Greek. Documents that would have been preserved uh, down through the centuries and then available for uh, the people of God to read. And he didn't much get into interpretation of the scriptures, much as just um, both 
saints and heretics alike commenting on the Bible would still say that the New Testament scriptures was around for these heretics to comment on. And that, uh, so really, whether it was somebody who was a true child of God or whether somebody that was um, seeking to twist the scriptures, uh, it was still um, an attestation that the scriptures were around uh, to be twisted. (laughs) So we know that um, the apostles were all eventually uh, killed off in the first century. John reportedly the last to to die um, around the 90s A.D., something like that. And, yeah, others were um, in the mid to, to near the end of the first century, somewhere around that. The, the records are, you have to rely on uh, other non-scriptural documents to get, uh, like Peter's uh, crucifixion upside down is recorded in some of these um, extra-biblical uh, documents. So the apostles wrote their, um, their writings, and then the first... Uh, attestation to those writings were Clement of Rome in A.D. 96. So around, let's just say, between 30 and uh, as little as 10 years after the death of the last apostle, you start to have other uh, men of God writing about it or quoting from uh, both the old and the what's now we call the New Testament. Clement of Rome quoted from Matthew's Gospel in, uh, in the second century. So he, you're going from A.D. 96 was the first quote and up until uh, into the second century. So 101 is the second century A.D. He quoted from Matthew 9.13 and... The letter of Barnabas <clears throat> uh, quotes from Matthew twenty two fourteen, and it, that that is apparently only found in Matthew's gospel. Now, the letter of Barnabas is a pseudo uh, uh, a letter with name, Barnabas's name attached to it, and there are many such writings as we shall see that were not included in the Scripture. Some of which were true, and some of which were not true. And there was many such um, letters and writings and gospels and acts. And it was unbelievable. I had no idea how prolific that writing was in the first, second, and third centuries. And it was a big deal for the church to distinguish what was the true writings and what were spurious writings. Not necessarily heretical writings but writings that were true, but they were not part of the canon. And there was a difference. They did um, distinguish between the two. So there'll be many, many 
New Testament apocryphal books that are out there that they were exposed to at the time that they had to distinguish. Is this a true writing that to be received um, as the scriptures and what was false? How many have heard of uh, Polycarp? Polycarp is a very common name. He was uh, apparently a disciple of John. So A.D. 110. So John has just been dead for 20 years. And he is quoting from the book of Ephesians in one of his letters. So that book was circulated in the churches. And it was being quoted then by Polycarp. So these were the men that had been with the apostles uh, of Christ. And then there was a man named Basilides, contemporary of Polycarp, quotes from Romans 8.19, using the phrase, as it is written. So he quotes from Romans, and then he uses the phrase, as it is written, which we know from the Old Testament, or from the New Testament, that the prophets and Jesus and would always say, as it is written, to signify this is an Old Testament scripture. So this man, he uses that phrase and then quotes from Romans 8.19. So he regarded it as the scripture even at that time. So we're talking just at the beginning of the second century. <clears throat> Some of these names are just... Uh, yeah, it's just not my gift. Hegesippus. Wow. H e g e s i p p u s. That guy. A d one seventy reports that in the churches, every succession and in every city, the preaching of the law and the prophets and of the Lord is faithfully followed. So of the Lord. That's a quote from uh, the book I was reading. Is the gospel writings. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were recognized early in the church. And they were read in the church. And this is, as we're going to get to the end, this is a major um, tool that the people of God had that the letters and the writings that were read in the church were regarded often as one of the markers of a true writing was that it was read in the churches. And there were other things that were read in the churches which, like the Old Testament Apocrypha, that kind of got mixed in there, but eventually the people of God sifted it out and said, this is good, but it's just not the scripture. And they'll... A few examples of those books as well. Turn to uh, Matthew 24. Just by way of internal evidence. Matthew 24. And verse 15. <clears throat> so 
So 24:15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. So Matthew has written his gospel. Um, some would say in the 50s A.D. So Christ has been gone to heaven for, let's say, 20 years, just for argument's sake. And Matthew writes his gospel to the people of God, and he expects um, people to have reading it and familiar with it, so much so that they would recognize that when the Romans came in to destroy the temple and were standing in the holy place because the Romans did not do that. They didn't go into the temple of the Jews. And when they were going to do that, that they would recognize that the the destruction that is spoken of here is right at the door and run for your lives. And he expects, that's why the little note there, whoso readeth, let him understand. This is the fulfillment of what Daniel spoke of, and you better get out because this is a time of distress such as the people, as the Jews will never see again. And that was fulfilled in 70 AD. So prior to 70 AD and the writing of it, the people of God, Christians, could read it that were going to be in Judea at the time. So Matthew expected the people of God to be able to read it. And because everyone didn't have their own copy, they would have heard it read, that still lived in Palestine, and then they would have been able to flee, as he says in verse 16. Then let them which are in Judea flee into the mountains. Gives specific direction for the people of God to escape the destruction of and God's punishment on the Jewish nation for their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, which Jesus prophesied when he said, a time is going to come, weep not for me but for your children, because time's going to come, they're going to build siege ramps, and then they're going to destroy you. And so Matthew is writing with the expectation that the people of God, Christians, are going to be able to be warned about the destruction of Jerusalem before it actually gets so bad that they just surround everybody and just kill everybody. Time when, get out of there right now, because this is it. The, uh, what Daniel spoke of, the fulfillment of what Daniel spoke of is happening, and you can run for it and save your life. Um, That... Uh, Many people have taken that that's still going to happen. I believe it's very Jewish and it's very geographic. It's Jerusalem, it's Judea, it's all about that. And that's already happened. Um, There's some internal evidence that Matthew's gospel was circulating amongst the people of God uh, before 70 AD and it was being read in the churches for people to have sufficient warning to escape the destruction of Jerusalem with their lives. So the Matthew expected, and indeed it did happen, that uh, that was the case. Now some I've read 
did say that Matthew's gospel was written in, originally in Hebrew. Um, I don't know how credible that is, but it, it would make sense since it was a gospel to the, uh, the Jews. But nonetheless, it was, um, came down to us in uh, Greek. <clears throat> Both uh, Ignatius, I'm sure you've heard that name, uh, a Catholic saint. The Catholics have stolen a bunch of first century Christians and said they were Catholics, uh, Roman Catholics, that is. Um, Papias, again, was a second century. He would have known, uh, I believe, John the Apostle. They were aware and wrote of Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, um, in their time. So in that first, you know, say 30, 40 years after the apostles were, were all gone into heaven, they were writing from, or quoting from their writings. I'm, I know you've heard of Justin Martyr. <clears throat> And he, he lived in A.D. 165, speaks of the memoirs of Peter and that of the other apostles, um, which he calls Gospels. And uh, Tartian, also a disciple of Justin Martyr, wrote a lengthy work called the De Testerion. Um, this is one man's uh, attempt at, to uh, weave all the gospel uh, and make one long chronological gospel that, in his mind, took out all the discrepancies, which um, kind of a misguided help, if you know what I mean. To, uh, but nonetheless, his reason for... Um, talking about this is this man had the gospels to do that with even though it was misguided and unneeded but he uh, and he would have been in the mid uh, second century uh, 150 AD so the they were all available and being circulated uh, amongst uh, the people of God So John's gospel took uh, the longest to be accepted of the gospels, uh, possibly because Gnostic writers who were quoting John's gospel and his letters. Um, You'll know that in 1 John, John addresses the whole Gnostic heresy. Those that did not confess that Jesus uh, had come in the flesh. That was a particular Gnostic doctrine that denied that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. And he said, you don't receive that person. This is a spirit of the Antichrist. And so John's writings were um, incidentally being quoted by Gnostics, the taking scriptures out of context, twisting the scriptures, which uh, Peter says to their own destruction. And they were being... John was being quoted perhaps more than other writings and therefore would have been, some people would have associated that with uh, people that were trying to twist them. 
So there were, yeah, a couple of um, second century Gnostics that were doing that. From the early second century and onward, Paul's letters circulated not singly, but as a collection. So So from 100 AD to 150 in that time period, all of Paul's letters had been gathered together as a a codex, so a book, and would have been circulated in the churches as a group of letters. So the individual letters were taken to each individual from each individual church and were put into one book and would have been circulated in that uh, that way. So it wasn't like just you know you had Ephesians going around to all the churches and you had Philippians and all of that, but they would have quickly gathered them all and had um, in one book, and they would have been circulated as a group of letters. Now, we know that the only way you could have a copy of the scriptures was by doing what? The old-fashioned way, by hand. So when they had a a list of the scriptures, they had beside it how many lines it was. And I presume they had a certain, a uh, scribe would have a certain amount, uh, how, you know, the line wasn't, you know, 10 feet long. It was on a, a page of some sort. And they would have, I guess, by way of telling people how, if it's a genuine copy, this is how many lines are in, the, in that. And they, they would have recorded it like that. <clears throat> so all of Paul's letters were circulating. The Gospels were circulating. Uh, and they would have been collected into a collection as well. And Matthew was always first. Then Mark. Then Luke. And then John. Why that is, I don't know. But just this is the way that it was always listed by all. In all the lists you found, it was always that way. Perhaps someone else can... Uh, discover why that is, but Matthew was always first. Perhaps he was the gospel to the Jews, and the gospel was first preached to the Jews would kind of make sense. When Clement of Rome wrote to the church of Corinth in AD 96, he had access to Paul's First uh, Corinthians and other letters. So these men were elders in the church, and he wrote to the church in Corinth, which had been planted by Paul decades before, but really not that long after. And he would have been quoting from Paul's earlier letters to the church, which they would have had a copy of uh, as well. And then in the first century, there was a man named Marcion. He uh, was born in A.D. 85, so before the death of the last apostle, or certainly contemporary with the apostles, and he lived until A.D. 160. Now, he was the uh, son of a um, churchman, we'll call him, a man that was uh, perhaps a, a Christian. I don't remember where he was at himself, but this man was one of the, the first... Um, Gnostics that got a lot of publicity in the church. 
He, uh, I think he tried to persuade Polycarp, and there was one other man, I can't remember his name, uh, what, but he would have been a big, um, Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, and he tried to present his doctrines to them, and he, they sent him packing, so to speak. So he went off to Rome, to, uh, and Rome was a, a church of influence. He went off to Rome to try and present his doctrines there. And again, he was rebuffed. Thankfully, thank the Lord, because he had you know, teaching that Jesus did not come in the flesh, and he had many other heresies that he um, was propounding. And this man sought to have great influence in the church. And he came up with his own New Testament canon. And he started to list the books, but he had a problem. He rejected all the apostles except for Paul. And and he thought Paul was the, the champion and all the other apostles had twisted the scriptures and they were unfaithful. When you read in John's writings that they didn't even receive us, you think, is that possible? But here's a man that did not receive John and the other apostles. And if Paul had been alive, he would have reproved this man, but he, Paul had, uh, was off the scene at the time. So he, uh, he rejected the Old Testament uh, he championed Paul. So how you could champion Paul and reject the Old Testament, I don't know. But um, And even though he championed Paul, he grossly misrepresented him. <clears throat> he sought the influence of many church leaders who rejected his doctrine and ultimately his person. He believed the God of the Old Testament was different from the God of the New. He denied the humanity of Jesus and believed the material world was created by a lesser deity. He started his own church where celibacy was obligatory. Started to have all of the marks of a false teacher. Uh, As Paul wrote about, the time will come when men will uh, be lovers of themselves and then they'll start to teach uh, things like this, denying marriage, etc., etc. And Marcion began to rewrite the New Testament to fit his false doctrines. And he started circulating letters that were gospels that were tampered with and which he would uh, remove whole passages and make it up himself, splicing different things together. So this prompted the church to speak out against his false canon with the true. And it'd be nice if he was the only one, but there was many other men that were doing this. Uh, Valentinius also was a heretical writer who gave knowledge in his writings of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the other Gospels. So he had access to all these writings, which tells you the writings existed amongst the people of God. So this Marcion was combated... um, Ultimately, his church, I don't know if it went, but it certainly would have gained many followers as cults and isms and schisms always 
although uh, celibacy is not a very popular doctrine. So um, it yeah, eventually fell by the wayside, but others picked it up, Catholic Church being one of them, um, and are still saying that's the way to go in, in the face of a clear teaching from the Scripture that it's false. Because you always wonder, how can these men, like when the Scripture speaks directly against what they're doing, have the same Scriptures in their possession and they don't? It's amazing. Some of them don't even read the, the actual Scriptures. and they, um, Yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's like they're just kind of blinded to the, the whole thing. So then there was a Catholic response, and you'll hear me use the word Catholic. Catholic is not a short form for the Roman Catholic Church. If I want to refer to the Roman Catholic Church, I'll use Roman Catholic, because in the first century and second century, Catholic meant the whole church. That's all it means. It doesn't, the Catholic Church kind of, Roman Catholic Church stole that term, and the Holy Roman Catholic Church is the proper name for the Roman Catholic Church, um, because for them it was universal, but it's still the Roman Catholic Church. But when you say the Catholic response was, this is what all the people of God in the first century, second century, um, started to put out their own lists of the scriptures and to combat these other lists, or ones that would take away from because they, Marcion didn't believe that John was an apostle and, and Luke was a, was a writing apostle, and et cetera, et cetera, and Matthew. And so they would have put out their own uh, lists. So there, you've heard of a man named Tertullian. He lived in A.D. 155 to 220. He was writing in, uh, in Latin, uh, he had some ab- apparent theology, which we won't get into right now, but he um, accepted and put out lists of what he believed to be the New Testament canon. So he, in, his, in this particular work, he says, we accept the Old Testament scriptures. Why? Because Marcion denied the Old Testament scriptures. So he's speaking... For the people of God, we accept all the Gospels for. So there were four Gospels, uh, never in question. There are 13 epistles of Paul, including the pastorals. There's uh, Acts, James, Peter is an apostle by extension, his writings. So, because Peter was denied to be an apostle. So Tertullian was reiterating that... Uh, the true church accepts Peter as an apostle. <clears throat> and by the end of the second century, there, the, again, the New Testament canon was coming together. At this time when um, Tertullian wrote, perhaps not all of the New Testament books were recognized. Uh, the Catholic epistles being the last to be recognized. So that would be James, um, Second Peter, Jude, uh, Second and Third John, and Revelation. 
those were in question. Not because in and of themselves they were not scripture, but the people of God had not universally recognized them. So there was a fragment at the end of the sect, dated the end of the second century, that was recovered. And there was an extensive list um, which not only listed the books but commented on each one. And the comments are really interesting. The first part of the list was lost, but the part that, yeah, I guess it had broken off and it was lost, but the, the first readable part starts like this, the third book of the gospel according to Luke. So there was Matthew and Mark, and so the third gospel was Luke. So you can fill in the blank there. Uh, Luke wrote, who was not an eyewitness to the resurrection, but Paul's, he wrote with Paul's approval, justifying Luke's uh, writing. John wrote the fourth gospel at the encouragement of his fellow apostles, who was an eyewitness of the Lord's resurrection. And he also wrote First uh, John. Although there are difference in the four, differences in the four gospels, they all come from the same spirit. And he, they comment on the, the nativity, the passion, the resurrection, and the twofold coming of Christ, his first coming and his second coming, talking a little bit about the content. The Acts of the Apostles are recorded in one book to Theophilus. Luke records all things done in his presence, omitting the death of Peter and Paul, because some false gospels included those things, and he says the true canon, the books that should be received, don't speak about those things. So by way of um, gleaning, you can see what was not included in what they believe to be the scriptures. Because other writings comment on those things, which this man says was not part of the canon. They, could, they were true, but they no, they're just not part of the canon. Because other people would have witnessed the death of Peter, people of God, uh, would have known about the death of Peter, known about the death of Paul, and they wrote about them, and, but they weren't part of the scriptures. So these are very helpful for us. It lists uh, the letters of Paul, first of all, are 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Romans. And then the Apocalypse is somehow inserted in there. Why? Philemon, Titus, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Jude, 1st and 2nd John, and 1st Peter. Second Peter didn't make it in at the beginning in this list, which is interesting. The predominant criterion for including a book was apostolic authorship or authority. Luke had apostolic authority because he was a companion of um, Paul. At that time, Second Peter was not uh, universally accepted. Don't ask me why. It just, it just wasn't. So then there was the Gnostic heresy that was being battled in the church, and many, many, many false gospels and false acts were being written by many different people. And so they were having to battle against this. 
all the time. So lists of the books that were approved were being constantly written to uh, circulate amongst the people of God. Because other gospels were being circulated which were teaching heretical things or they were teaching things that were true but they weren't scripture and the people of God needed to know that. Arrhenius was a church, he was, would have been an elder. Um, he was taught by Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, and he moved to the Rhone Valley, which is in France, modern-day France. He acknowledged the Old Testament and believed the uh, Septuagint version was inspired of God, which many others had. He also regarded the Apocrypha, the Old Testament Apocrypha. And he commented on the origin of New Testament books. Matthew published the gospel in Hebrew, he so writes. Mark delivered the contents of Peter's preaching. Luke wrote a gospel who was a follower of Paul. And John wrote from Ephesus his gospel. So he just comments on the origination of those uh, geographically. Arrhenius wrote that the four Gospels, um, he likened them unto the living creatures in Ezekiel and unto the four winds and four pillars. So there's four winds in the earth and nature, and thus we have four Gospels. And there's four pillars in a building, and thus we have four Gospels. He accepted all 13 letters of Paul and quotes from Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. He quotes from 1 Peter, 1 and 2 John, James 2, 23, and Revelation frequently. This man believed that all of those were inspired writings, and he would have. And that's, again, about 100 years after the death of most of the apostles. Uh, Another difficult name, Hippolytus. He knows all the New Testament books Arrhenius knows, and he is acquainted with James, 2 Peter, and Jude. And there were many uh, New Testament apocryphal books. The Shepherd of Hermas is a book that was circulating in the church. The Didacte, which I gather is some kind of teaching um, of the apostles. Not from the apostles, but it would have been other people would have wrote down what they believed to be apostolic teaching, and that was being circulated in the church. And the letter of Barnabas, uh, probably not from Barnabas, but it would have been somebody who took that letter. And um, again, not necessarily false things in it. I don't think it was being read in the church if it had heretical doctrine. And all of those letters... Um, the Shepherd of Hermas, the Didacte, and the Letter of Barnabas, he did not regard as being scripture. But they still, some of them were being read in the church, and they were trying to sort that out. Uh, Tertullian, um, he gave a list as well in probably 200 AD. He lists four Gospels, Acts, 13 Pauline epistles, 1 Peter, 1 John, and Revelation, and Jude. Again, 2 Peter is not in his list. Um, 
Clement of Alexandria, so that would be in North Africa, A.D. 180. Um, again, comments on the New Testament canon. Matthew and Luke were written first. Mark wrote after following Peter for many years. John wrote last, yielded uh, to the exhortation of his friends, uh, uh, his friends being other apostles. Um, Clement quotes from Acts extensively. He acknowledges 13 Pauline epistles uh, and Hebrews. I presume 13 plus Hebrews, and that he didn't believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. Comments on 1 Peter, on 1 and 2 John, and James and Revelation. So he quoted from most of what would be, be New Testament books. Clement gave concise accounts of all scripture contained in the Testaments, including such disputed writings as Jude and other Catholic epistles. So, end of the second century, again, most of the New Testament books, 26 books, Second Peter, for whatever reason, seem to be always on the outside. Um, not by all, but, uh, but it was there. It wasn't necessarily, it wasn't apocrypha, but it wasn't received for some reason. Origen, A.D., I mean, how many have heard of Origen? I think he's unfortunately known for castrating himself in the, yeah, because he misunderstood the words of Christ. But um, zealous nonetheless. <laughs> uh, undisputed books at, at that time, he lists them. Four Gospels, Acts, Pauline Epistles, First Peter, First John, Revelation, regarded Hebrews as a Pauline in its authorship. Disputed books at the time were 2 Peter, 2 and 3 John, James, and Jude. And again, that doubting of those books carried into the 16th century. Uh, not by all, but by some. Uh, mostly for theological reasons. And we... You can't doubt a book because you don't necessarily either understand the theology or you don't understand a passage and therefore you just throw it out. And uh, Many heretics do that um, because they reject certain doctrines and they want to um, throw it out. I met a guy on the streets of London who believed that Paul was a son of Satan because he... Um, he thought he rejected the Old Testament law. So here's a modern-day man who would yeah, call Paul a son of Satan. <clears throat> so uh, Origen treated uh, other books. He treated the Didacte as Scripture, the Letter of Barnabas, the Shepherd of Hermas, and the Gospel according to the Hebrews. They would have been true let, um, writings, but they weren't. He regarded it as a scripture, and because of that, it perpetuated the uh, confusion when different men of different ages would have brought in other letters. Now, eventually, the people of God did sort it out, but kind of like the uh, Apocrypha of the Old Testament, kind of hung on in the church for many years after. 
And then there arose a man named Eusebius of Caesarea. He was the bishop of Caesarea in 314 to 339 AD. He was born before that. He just became the bishop or the elder in that uh, city. Now, we're not going necessarily chronologically because there were other things that happened in between that time. Uh, Persecution of the scriptures in 303 AD, which we'll uh, address later. But Eusebius of Caesarea, he gave three categories of books. Universally recognized. Four Gospels, Acts, Epistles of Paul, and Hebrews. First John, First Peter, and Revelation. And then he, he uh, gave a second category. is disputed by some, but received by most. James, Jude, Second Peter, uh, Second and Third John. And then sp- spurious books. Now that isn't necessarily false. He just means not scripture. So when he says spurious, he doesn't mean uh, false books, but books that were not um, part of the canon. The Acts of Paul, apparently there's Acts of all the apostles, and those are um, like Peter and every Acts of all of those different apostles written by well-meaning people. Uh, Shepherd of Hermas, which is a very popular one. The Apocalypse of Peter, that's not Second Peter. Uh, Epistle of Barnabas, Teaching of the Apostles, uh, the Gospel according to the Hebrews, and uh, the Revelation of John at that time was included in those spurious books because some people just didn't know what to do. This man in particular... Eusebius did not know how to reconcile John's teaching of the millennium in the latter chapters of Revelation. And that's why he wanted to put it outside the canon. Just because of that. He didn't, it just didn't make sense to him, theologically. There are some people that doesn't make sense to them theologically today. But that's no reason. When you come up against something you don't understand, you don't say, well, this is not in the Bible. You say, I don't understand it. And then you go on. (laughs) Uh, That's why Martin Luther rejected the book of James, because he just couldn't reconcile James as a man is justified by works statement. And he just, the right strawy epistle. He just wanted to get it out of the, and he did reject it as a New Testament book. So this man, he... He didn't know what to do with John's, because obviously he read the book. He, it existed, and it was recognized by many, but he just could not um, reconcile that. And then there was heretical works, of which there were many. Gospels of Peter, Thomas. So you've heard of the Gospel of Thomas, teaches Gnostic heresies. Matthias, Acts of Andrew, John, and others. There was just, there probably was hundreds of them. I just I've lost track of all the different names. And so there was some great wisdom given by uh, second century elders who said, Don't read these books to his people. He said, Don't read them. 
because it'll put something in your mind. These books are being written to push people away from the truth and teach false things. Don't read them. Don't get curious because someone would find this, oh, and then they would start reading it. And today you can look up all kinds of nonsense on the Internet. All of these things are still in existence and you could read them. Don't read them. (laughs) You might read the things that were even approved then in the first and second century like the Shepherd of Hermas and uh, other writings that were read by the church, people in the church, but they were not regarded as scripture. Just like the Apocrypha, you can read it, it's in that Bible back there, and there are some useful information. Um, Even, you could say, things that God could use in your life, but it's not to be regarded uh, as the scripture. There was rejected gospels, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Thomas, and the Gospel of Matthias, Acts of Paul, Peter, Andrew, John, Thomas, etc. Um, And there were some things in them that were true, but there were many things that were false. One of them was Thomas went and preached in India and planted churches there. Quite plausible that that was the case. In fact, there's parts, provinces in India where Thomas is a popular name. I knew a guy at Hopedale. His name was John Thomas. His last name was Thomas, and he was from India. Um, and then a man rose on the scene named Constantine. Everyone's heard of Constantine. He came to power, Roman emperor. He had some kind of vision, and he made uh, Christianity the uh, religion of the empire, which was the beginning of the end for the true church, if you know what I mean. Um, It started the beginning of what came to its full fruition in like about 600 AD. The rising of the Pope within the Church of God and declaring himself that he was God as a fulfillment of what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians was the fulfillment and in Revelation of what the prophets and the apostles spoke about. And you could see how this happened. Constantine started it uh, with his declaration, which at the time seemed to be a wonderful blessing to the people of God because they've been persecuted heavily for two and a half centuries. So imagine for 250 years you've been persecuted, and then the emperor of all people who was the kingpin of persecution declares Christianity to be not only uh, not to be persecuted, but the religion of the empire. But that was the beginning of the end because then all the pagans and everybody brought in all their false doctrine into the church and they Christianized everything. And yeah, it was the beginning of the end. But at the beginning, it was uh, for many uh, church people, it was a wonderful time of respite. And one of the first things Constantine did in A.D. 330 is he wrote to Eusebius, who was that man we just spoke of, who was the bishop of Caesarea, and he ordered 50 copies of the entire Bible in Greek. Now, this is the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, and he was going to pay for it. It was to be done by professional scribes, And this led to 
this, the Bible being popular into the city of Constantinople, which was the capital city uh, then at the time. And it may have been the ancestor of what's called the majority text. So 50 Bibles and each church in Constantinople was to have a Bible. So imagine if only in each church there was one Bible. You couldn't just take it home. Um, And the only Bible you got on Sunday was the public reading of the Bible. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, uh, give attendance to reading. Read whole letters, sections of the Bible on Sunday because that's the only reading that you got. So in uh, that list of books that were given to Constantine, 27 New Testament books were included in this copy of the Bible. Interestingly enough, Eusebius included the book of Revelation at the emperor's preference. Because in his mind, because the emperor had read the book of the Revelation, and he felt it uh, gave propaganda for the imperial um, cause of which the Bible Revelation speaks of the church or the uh, city on seven hills. Everybody knows that's wrong. And uh, so God using perhaps a man that was a quasi-Christian at the time to include the book of the Revelation in the New Testament books that were the first full copies of the Bible both together uh, given um, government approval and copied uh, professionally, if I could say that, and distributed amongst the churches. In uh, 367, uh, A.D. 367, the Bishop of Alexandria writes to the churches in A.D. 367, Again, we must not hesitate to name the books of the New Testament. They are as follows. Four Gospels, according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. Then after these, the Acts of the Apostles and the seven so-called Catholic Epistles of the Apostles are as follows. One of James, two of Peter, three of John, and after these, one of Jude. Next to these are 14 epistles of the Apostle Paul, written in order as follows, first to the Romans, then two to the Corinthians, after these to the Galatians, next to these the Ephesians, then to the Philippians, then to the Colossians, two to the Thessalonians, and that to Hebrews, next are two to Timothy, and one to Titus, and last the one to Philemon, moreover John's Apocalypse. So all 27 books are known and received from the time that Constantine came to the throne. And none are doubted that we have in our Bible right now. <clears throat> there were some that uh, spoke against certain, but they would not have been. Uh, by, they would have been small voices, Martin Luther uh, notwithstanding, into the 16th uh, century. And then he comments on them. These are the springs of salvation, so that one that is thirsty may be satisfied with the oracles written therein. In these alone is the teaching of the true religion, proclaimed as good news. Let no one add to these, nor take anything from them. Sober warning, uh, alluding to uh, the book of the Revelation. 
This is the first writer to list all New Testament books, making no class distinction among them. So remember, who was it? Uh, Eusebius wrote, and he said, you know, he had this category not disputed, then the ones that are, mm, and then the ones that are spurious, that was all gone now. And they were all received uh, from that time, um, and even prior to that. But there was some doubts in some people's minds. And, um, but by this time, it had been completely dispelled. I would say by the end of the second century, that was true. <clears throat> uh, Cyril of Jerusalem, he died in 386 A.D. He counseled believers, read none of the apocryphal writings. Two Gospels of Thomas, don't read them. The didacte or the shepherd is profitable but is not part of the canon. That's how they viewed it. Um, they, the didacte, again, just teachings that uh, churchmen would have written and it was circulated in the churches, but it was not to be received uh, as the scripture. And then to backtrack, on February 23, A.D. 303, an imperial edict was posted. All Christian scripture must be surrendered to authorities for destruction. Imagine reading that on the telephone pole, if there was any telephone poles then. Uh, The same um, edict was issued by Antiochus Epiphanes. There was a death penalty attached to the, for the possession of the scriptures, and that was in 1 Maccabees 1.56, which I did read it there. I checked it out for myself. Um, Antiochus was a forerunner to the Roman government that sacked the temple, and uh, Antiochus sacrificed a pig on the altar, and he had a campaign to, to stamp out the Jewish scriptures, which obviously was not successful. But this was a a specific war on the scripture itself. The Roman government was recognized that the scriptures were the core of the church, the reason for its proliferation, and they wanted to stamp that out. So, of course, people would ask the question, well, what are the scriptures? And they would have known that at the time. So you could hand over, let's say... uh, the Epistle of Barnabas, or the Shepherd of Hermas, or the Acts of Paul, or etc., etc. But you were not to hand over a codex of the writings of Paul. That would have been um, treason to the church. And there were people that did do that, and then once the persecution ended, only maybe five or six years later, there were people that had done that. And they... Some of them repented, and then there was a big dispute over, should we even receive these people back into the church? <laughs> because they were turncoats, they were traitors, they were deniers of Christ. But if you read the scriptures yourself, you'd see that, I mean, if Peter was taken back, uh, the Lord restored him. Should they have done that? No, but uh, some people did do that. So obviously the scriptures were... They knew which ones were true and which ones were just writings you could hand over, and it wasn't a problem. So then the, we're in a new age. The, the emperor has declared Christianity to be the religion of the empire. <clears throat> and then Jerome, I'm sure you've heard of him. 
He was a Catholic uh, saint, and he had a list of the New Testament books as well. Now, he was writing in, he, he was fluent in Greek and Hebrew and Latin, and there was another language I can't re- quite remember. But uh, he lists all 27 books uh, of the New Testament. He regarded the letter of Barnabas and the shepherd of Hermas to be apocryphal writings, but profitable. So, meaning that they were, you know, Christians can read them like the, you would read Pilgrim's Progress, but you would never say Pilgrim's Progress is the scriptures. It's that kind of thing. And then a man named Augustine came on the scene, contemporary with, uh, with Jerome, and he inherited the canon as something given. So he didn't decide what the New Testament books were. They were just, it was just there. And he writes, uh, that of the New Testament, again, is contained within the following. Four books of the gospel, according to, to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. Fourteen epistles of the Apostle Paul. And then he lists them. And Hebrews is the last one. <clears throat> now there was this dispute. Back and forth in the church did Paul write Hebrews, and it was even back then. And many doubted it, and many uh, believed that he was the author to the, of the book of Hebrews. And that continued to this day. Um, uh, the King James translators tried to settle that, but of course, it's again, it's, it's always been the case. And Matthew asked the question, does it really matter? The answer is no. It really doesn't matter at all. Um, what, what is well known is that it was always received as canonical, but the authorship was in question because it was not clearly stated. But um, internal evidence would tell you it would point to um, Hebrews, would point to Paul. Others had said it was also could have been Luke or Apollos, and, but at the end of the day, um, we're just going with Paul. Two epistles of Peter, three of John, one of Jude, and one of James, one book of Acts of the Apostles, and one of Revelation. The order of the books in the New Testament often moved around down through the ages, but the books themselves were always, uh, at this certainly by this point, were clearly recognized. And then lastly, the criteria for canonicity. I think this is important for us. Um, it starts wide, a wide net, and then it gets much narrower. Paul writes, uh, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the person writing had to receive Jesus as Lord. That was a really wide net, but starts there. And then in 1 John 4, 2, every spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And so when the church looked at a book, if it wasn't orthodox in its doctrine, it was rejected. That's why all of the um, epistles with pseudonyms, that means it was supposedly written by Peter or whatever, were, they were all rejected. So there was no 
name, epistle with a pseudonym that made it into the New Testament canon. And certainly nothing that wasn't orthodox. So the people of God checked it out if it was, if it was read in the church. Hmm. And there was one story of a man, the minister, that found out that a certain, I think it was the Gospel of Thomas, was being read in a church nearby. And he found out about it, and he went there, and he said, you shouldn't be reading this, because it's not orthodox in regard to the teaching about Christ Jesus. And so I think they listened to him and threw it out. Um, And Paul, at the end of his epistles, he would sign it. So the original document that came to the church would have had Paul's handwriting. And I think Martin mentioned that. Um, you can recognize. Some people are good at forgeries, but you can usually recognize it. But he would pick up the pen from his amanuensis, from the man that was copying down his or dictating to him. And he would take up the pen at the end and he would write. Either it was a salutation or a signature at the end. And he says that explicitly in all of his letters. So if it didn't have that at the end of it, then you knew this was a, a, uh, it's not a true epistle of Paul. Because Paul does say in Second Thessalonians, he says there, the church was being disturbed. Why? Because of letters uh, supposedly sent from us. Where is that? Second Thessalonians. So letters were always being circulated. He says that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. So some people tried to pass off their own letters speaking about some doctrine. In this case, it was the day of Christ. And... They knew it was not a letter of Paul because he always signed it. So the first century church would have known this is a true letter from Paul. And those letters were all gathered together and circulated. And then they would have been copied in that original signature, if I could say that, would be lost. But it was recorded as something that was authentic and received by all the churches. So that's how in the first century church, the letters that didn't make it in were those that didn't have that mark. Apostolic authority was another criteria. Paul's letters were the first to be collected and circulated as a collection. The apostolic authorship of Matthew and John were well established in the church. So letters coming from them would have uh, been uh, received. As early as Papias, who was a, I believe, a disciple of one of the apostles, I think it was John, he said, Mark is said to have written down Peter's account of the Lord's sayings. So that's why, so Mark was what Luke was to Paul. So Mark was with Peter, and he wrote down Peter's, uh, a summary of Peter's preaching, which was his gospel. And that's why Mark was not an apostle, but he was a companion of an apostle. Uh, Luke was a companion of Paul, wrote, uh, written down in Colossians 4.14, thus giving validity to his writings. 
Um, Paul seems to uh, include James, the Lord's brother, among the apostles or pillars in the church of God. Uh, So James' writings were received. Uh, Jude, being of the Lord's uh, family, tips the balance in favor of him. Uh, There were several works with Peter's name attached to it, but 1 Peter uh, was not in doubt, and 2 Peter was until Anathas... Yeah, that. Accepted it uh, in Alexandria, Anathasius. John's Gospel and 1 John were always closely related, and... The apostolic authorship of Revelation was not in doubt, but the teaching of the millennium caused many to doubt. <laughs> I'm thinking that, again, that they, because they didn't understand it, they just, maybe some didn't receive it, but that's no reason. Because uh, John was well received in the first century in his writings. Then the test of antiquity. It had to belong to the apostolic age. So all books that were written after the death of the apostles, that's it. They're rejected, and there were many. Like that man uh, who was a Marcion, he's writing after the death of the apostles. All his writings are rejected. You could see. So really, the canon closed then. The door closed, and then it was probably, I don't know, up until maybe a hundred years of kind of collecting those books. The same thing happened in the Old Testament. They collected them and collated them, and, and they were being circulated. But really, the door closed then at the, at the end. And it did in the, uh, I think it was Josephus that commented on that. Once the prophets started or stopped um, their ministries, the canon was closed. The first one uh, being Moses, the last one being Habakkuk, or not Habakkuk, um, Haggai. Yeah, Haggai, Zechariah. Once those men were, that was it. And that didn't open up again to the apostles. Very short window, less than 100 years, or even less, 50 years, and it's closed. So Old Testament, very big window of writing. New Testament, very small, just those men, apostles and their associates, and after that, that's it. And so anything that wasn't from that time frame, and they had all those other things to consider, sig- you know, writings of Paul's signature, etc., if that didn't have it, it was rejected, no matter if it was orthodox or not. So orthodoxy did play and teach uh, if it did not teach apostolic truth, it was rejected. Uh, the testimony of the churches uh, founded by the apostles, so that they knew which churches had found by the apostles, and they, if it was a, a book that had a pseudonym written, you know, like the Gospel of Thomas, etc., etc., it was immediately rejected, not uh, regarded as true. So I think Dave said to me something about, uh, what about the missing books? I said, there isn't any. There isn't any missing books. There's nothing missing. These are false books that were rejected long ago. Like in the first century, they would have been rejected by the people of God. Because if you read these books, you think, how could they? 
may be received. Because some of the stuff that's in it is just absolute nonsense. It, you, if you would agree with me if you read them. I'm not suggesting that you do. I'm just saying that they're nonsense. Like weaving together of all kinds of weird stuff uh, taken from all the Gospels and weaving it all together and calling it a work of whoever, Thomas or, or Paul, and it was not true. But it would, for some people, depending on what it taught, they would receive it because it was teaching some false thing about Christ Jesus, or etc., etc. So when you hear somebody saying, oh, this, you know, Christians don't want to receive all the... You're right, they don't, because they're not true, and that's why we've rejected them. Uh, the, the seventh test was Catholicity. I know that's not quite a word, but uh, I think what he was trying to say is it was received by all the churches, church uh, worldwide. Worldwide being the Roman, you know, all the way to Spain, down over to um, the Black Sea and all that whole area, North Africa, was it received by those uh, churches. And if it wasn't, then it was rejected. And they talked amongst each other, like go over to Rome and say, these are the books that we receive, and that's how they decided in the end. Um, and, yeah, right down to the uh, book of the Revelation uh, was finally uh, received. Not because of, certainly had no heretical teaching, etc., etc., some teaching hard to understand, but was it received by all the churches was one of the tests. And lastly, traditional use. What letters were read in all the first century churches quickly became known. If this is a letter that wasn't read... It was thrown out. And that's, uh, those are, were the tests to determine whether a book was, and all the tests had to, it had to pass all the tests, and if it didn't, it was rejected. And that's how the New Testament canon, so a very short window, I would say the last writing being around 90, the first writing in the 40s or 50s, A.D., give or take uh, a few years here and there. I hope that was profitable uh, to some degree. Uh, a lot of dates and a lot of... But, uh, yeah, there's much more to say, but you can't say it all at once. Sure. Yep. Thanks very much uh, for that, Sean. Um, I want to say a couple of things for us in our understanding. Um, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And the um, somebody accused me, it was a passing kick, you know, blind faith. Well, no, no. But by definition, faith requires you to believe. Nobody believes in the sun except a few blind people. You see the sun. You don't need any faith. Um, so faith is believing evidence. And um, I'm going to compare uh, uh, the ways of God to, to others in a moment. 
Consistently, if you look at how God moves, he has used the weak. Paul writes this, he used the weak, the precarious. So if you look at Moses, the giver of the word or the receiver, the mediator of the word of God, put in the precarious position as a baby in a basket in the Nile River, crocodiles and all, and all of that precariousness. Then the Jewish nation in all of its um, persecutions, being persecuted, uh, Antiochus, uh, Epiphanes there, you know, trying to stamp out. This has been consistent. So they're persecuted people, and the scriptures trying to be destroyed. Why? Because there's a devil. At the start, half God said, he's tried to undermine the word of God. You see the same in the new covenant with Jesus being uh, hunted by Herod. And later, Roman Emperor try and destroy the scriptures. Um, Wycliffe or Tyndale, all of his New Testament work destroyed. Do you remember who was? Wycliffe or Tyndale or both? And they had to start over. Years of labor destroyed and having to start over. There has been a consistent attack on the word of God. So that's one. And the New Testament arising, you know, why couldn't God just boom, boom and make it so tidy? And he's doing that. This is an amazing feat amongst a persecuted people. Uh, I'm saying these things, so, well, because the scriptures are under attack and Islam particularly attacks the scriptures. And I want to draw that to our attention as you go forward and you meet people. This is the ways of God using the weak, the despised, the people of God, the whole church of God, and they received the words of the apostles, collected them, and here they've been handed down. Parallel to that is the fact that God used even the hypocritical clergy to um, pass on and preserve his scripture. He did that with the Jews who crucified Christ, and he did that with the um, uh, clergy that became more worldly in the subsequent years. It is common for religious people to be very fastidious about the accuracy of the text, even if they themselves don't live according to it. So it is not in, in any way difficult to believe. What I say is with Islam, Islam was a dominant force. It had the backing of the state and the military when the Quran was uh, written down. And they had, contrary to what you're commonly told, they had variations in readings. I think the third or fourth caliph, Uthman, didn't like the various readings. They were reciting it, but they, I won't get into it all the details of it, but it was clear they were different texts. So he had them rewrite it, he got four scribes together, said, write it, and if you have a doubt, use this dialect, and then destroy all the others. So contrary to Christianity, which has preserved all evidence to this day, Islam destroyed anything that didn't fit the narrative. Later, um, Abd al-Malik did the same thing. Political issues, he had um, various uh, Quran, uh, he had Quran collated and destroyed everything that didn't agree with his version. And they did that again recently in Cairo, sometime in the last hundred years. 
In fact, it might be the last 50. So anytime they find something that doesn't line up, they've destroyed the evidence because they're trying to get one version going. And they've done that from a position of military supremacy where they were not being persecuted, where they was not trying to be destroyed. Um, so there is that difference. And the second, the, the other thing I want to point out, you see all these things. Satan works by infiltration and persecution. Both of those going. And, uh, but God has delighted to work um, in the midst and through feeble people. So you want to study these things um, through the eye of faith. There's evidence there that is affirming. Yeah, you can believe that. You can be confident in that. You're still going to have to walk by faith. Um, it's either that or we'd have a thousand foot angel in every city. Um, I was reading just recently in the weekend, uh, Cult in China, short version L, in 2000, heavily financed to attack the churches in China through infiltration. Don't meddle with the Catholics. Don't meddle with, the, don't meddle with those that are lukewarm. Only those that are zealous for the true God go and corrupt those churches. That's in their manifesto in China. And they're funded. And I'll spare you all the terrible details of how people would be lured and bribed and enticed. But the thing is they only targeted churches that were vibrant and had the living word of God. And they weren't bothering with lukewarm or worldly or corrupt churches. They didn't bother with the three self church. didn't bother with the Catholic church uh, initially. Um, and so you have to recognize that the pattern that we saw there with these spurious writings and heretical doctrines and so on, still going on today. Wherever there is going to be revival, there's going to be spiritual attack. There are going to be counterfeits, people vying for power. Um, it shouldn't surprise us if, uh, if one day there would be people that would come in here and would feign to be spiritual and try and displace and, and uh, gain influence. Uh, wherever God will move in power, that will happen. We're desiring and praying God would move. So there will be those things. Um, we'll stop there. I did simply want to point out the difference. Christianity, the scriptures were preserved miraculously in ordinary ways, if you will. But miraculously in the midst of a heavily persecuted people. And yet the integrity was there. said, so don't read them. But they didn't go on a book-burning campaign. They didn't try and destroy evidence. They let everything there so that people can search things out and, uh, and have confidence in, uh, in the accuracy. It's all, all there to be examined. And the criteria, I think, are very, very good. So um, perhaps that wasn't necessary to say to, to us, but I did want us to, to uh, look at that. Um, that aspect of how God works and it's consistent with his working in man through all of history the Lord Jesus came meek on a donkey he was born uh, in a poor family in the most despised part of Israel the Newfoundland of Israel and God has worked like that he worked through Moses who was rejected this is consistent with the working of God throughout history what you do not see in the workings of God, not the God that Jesus preached, 
or Moses or the prophets, was a God imposing his scriptures on the world through military might, right? In a position of human might. And there are religion, well, I mean, Islam, that's how Islam was propagated. And you can see that is one evidence, not the only one, but there's one evidence that it's counterfeit. It's of man, it's not of God. Um, Muhammad himself may have been a sincere man, I'm not getting into that, but the Islam of today is clearly um, well-meaning people, many throughout, but it's, it's not consistent with the workings of God from the beginning until now. So misguided. And uh, because that's much in our, in our experience today, it's important to understand that you're in the same way that you recognize the Lord Jesus as the uh, word of God. So you can, rec- rep- you can recognize the Holy Scriptures thereby as well. Brother Abe, would you like to close the meeting in prayer for us?